All right, let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit uh, upon us during this time together. Give us an increased desire not only to know you, but to reflect who you are for us. Uh, shape our hearts, mind, and will according to the scriptures. Help us to live in light of your holy will. For the glory of Christ, the Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's start this lesson by reciting together uh, question and answer 124 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, it's in your outline. I'll read the question for us and then we'll recite uh, together the answer. Uh, what is the third petition? Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men renounce our own will, and without gainsaying, obey your will, which alone is good, so that everyone may fulfill his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. All right, by way of introduction... If you were here last week, uh, test time, I think, uh, what did we talk about? What was last week's lesson all about? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God? Anything more specific? We talked about the kingdom of God. Anybody else? Do you remember anything? No? No, I know, it's, it's been a whole week. It's, it's hard to remember stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, let me re- rehearse a little bit about last week's lesson then uh, to catch up people who weren't here last week. I said that God is on a mission to bring His kingdom here on earth, uh, to once again reunite heaven and earth uh, to be His uh, one kingdom, just as it once was in the Garden of Eden. Um, there was... Complete overlap between the two in the Garden of Eden. Uh, But then rebellion separated them. Uh, Thankfully, God is in the restoration business. Uh, Beginning with Israel, God has been on a mission to restore His one kingdom on earth. Uh, Throughout the history of Israel, God consistently made space for them, right? What is the space we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's it's the space where God and man can can meet, right? Um, do we do we still have something like that today? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, truly. Um, you know, in in Israel, there God met with individuals in unique ways. Right, um, but as a people, we said uh, this happened at Sinai. Uh, Sinai was was a kind of pre-temple. Uh, if you look at the description, um, then there was the tabernacle and and then the temple. Uh, in the New Testament, God's kingdom promises uh, made to Israel come to fruition in Jesus Christ. Uh, not only do we encounter the living temple. Uh, we encounter the arrival of the rightful king of the universe. Uh, remember, we looked at his baptism. 
Anybody remember what we said about the baptism? Thomas, I know I called you out last time. What was, what was unique about Jesus' baptism? What, what, what does that say about his kingship? This is my son. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, what was the dove all about? Hovering over Jesus's head. Yeah. Remember in 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 ancient Rome, they would use birds as as the kind of a, a divine sign making. Like the the birds would hover the rightful king, and and he, here's Jesus. He's 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 being signaled as the true divine king, um, which was, as we said, ratified at the cross. The cross was his coronation ceremony. Um, Jesus is restoring what was separated by sin and the devil. He is bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth until the whole creation is permeated with his rule. Uh, that's, our, that's our hope, right? That one day... All of creation, all of creation would, would acknowledge this king and would be under the submission of this king. Uh, that one day the whole world will be governed by his word and spirit and the disobedient will, will be cast outside, right? Uh, the church all over the world then are pockets of that inbreaking kingdom. That's what God is up to in the world. Uh, Jesus wants us to pray for the kingdom to come. Uh, so it's, it's really important we're clear about what this kingdom is and, is and what it is not. Our job is to be good citizens of this kingdom as it comes down to us uh, into this world. Uh, this morning we're considering, what do you think? What are we considering in light of that? In light of the kingdom of God, asking for the kingdom to come. Says, "Thy will be done." Right. Butchie. Yeah. That's good. That's one way we can put it. Right. It's it's the sanctification of our lives. Is us being uh, becoming more and more good citizens in this kingdom. Or we can say, um, it's it's the process of us. Doing the king's will, right? The kingdom and the and the king's will they they go together. You can't separate them. There is no kingdom apart from the will of the king. Uh, in fact, the king's people are to bear witness of that kingdom um, here by the way they behave, the way they live as citizens of another kingdom. Um, we can say uh, we're looking at. What it means to, to embody, to embody God's kingdom here on earth, right? So here's the big idea for us this morning. Uh, the will of God is done on earth more and more as His people become more fully human. That's, that's the goal of this kingdom, is that Jesus is bringing us into His kingdom to, to make us more and more like Him, to be more human like Him. Uh, that's what it looks like to live out our citizenship, uh, and, and and living out the citizenship looks like looks like faith in it, uh, acting through love and self denial, right? Uh, just like the kingdom of God, uh, God's will 
is another huge theme in the Bible. Uh, in a sense, all of history and all of eternity, past, present, and future, whatever that means, right? Eternity is not constrained by time. Um, whatever unfolds is part of God's decree, His will. Uh, and that's not, but that's not what, what Jesus is talking about in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus isn't talking about God's secret will, right? Those things belong to the Lord, according to Deuteronomy 29. Anybody know that passage? Yeah, 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 that's pretty good, that's pretty good. Yeah, Jesus is talking about God's revealed will. Uh, will. Uh, they are the things that are revealed to us, which, which belong to us and our children forever, right? Uh, the first thing I want us to see then is Jesus doing God's will, because Jesus is the one that paves the way for us. Unless he accomplishes his Father's will, Unless the king is doing God's will, um, we can't do God's will, right? God's will can't happen in us unless Jesus himself accomplishes it. Uh, to know God's will for us is to begin where the Bible begins. Uh, I know you might be tired of me going back uh, to the beginning, uh, but I, I think we always got to go back to the beginning. Uh, it's really important. I said last week, Genesis gives us the foundation for the rest of the Bible. So, what was God's will for humans from the beginning? Why did God create human beings? Here's a clue. He didn't create us to play eternal golf. He didn't make us uh, to turn us into chubby uh, babies with wings. Right? So, what what... Why did God create us? For his glory, for his glory correct? And to love him and enjoy him forever? Yeah, all good catechetical answers, good stuff. No, that's, that's not wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What did you say? What did you say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We saw last time that God created us to be his co-rulers, right? Uh, Genesis 126, again. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. There's that, there's that ruling language. Over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Uh, that's God's will for us. That was His purpose all along. Our calling is to be His image bearers, expand, expanding uh, the kingdom of God, the place where heaven and earth meet, right? We are the mediators, mediators and, and co-rulers of that kingdom. Uh, but by virtue of our sin, we said no to God's will. We don't want that. Instead, we said yes to our own will. Adam and Eve wanted their own will to be done, not God's, right? So that's where we have to start. Uh, God's will and our will have been in opposition ever since our first parents rebelled. Um, uh, Paul, in Romans 7, gets at this when he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, and I do the very thing that I hate. You see, that there's that conflict. How many of you know what that's like? Yeah, I see a lot of hands. Like, can you describe what that's like? 
What is this conflict like? Jekyll and Hyde. That's pretty good. Butchie? It's a war. Yeah. It's a war. Right? Uh, this is the condition that we find ourselves in as believers, as citizens of the kingdom of God while living in this present age. Sin often gets the best of us because our will is not yet fully submitted to our king. Uh, if that doesn't bother you, if sin doesn't bother you, then you probably aren't fighting the good fight, right? You need to go to the throne of God again and, and, and ask for mercy and ask for a new heart and, 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 and go and surrender to Him. But that's part of our existence here as believers. Uh, think about what sin does to human beings, right? Sin makes us less and less human. Because it denigrates the, the image of God within us until it is no longer recognizable. Right? If, if you take the worst of humanity and then you, and then we look at what the image of God looks like, looks like in the Bible, it's hard to recognize. Is that person even made in the image of God? How can he do such and such a thing? Right? And so that's what sin does to us. It makes us less and less human. Um, so God's will f- is for us to be truly human, uh, con- like the opposite of what sin does, uh, to be image bearers who represent Him in this world. Nothing more, but nothing less. Uh, this is what I think the Heidelberg Catechism means when it says, so that everyone may fulfill his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Excuse me. To be truly human is our office and calling. God's will is that we make good on it as do the angels in heaven. Now, the Heidelberg Catechism is not saying that we become angels, right? That, that's a fallacy. That's, we don't become angels, even though sometimes in our culture we, you're such an angel and so on and so forth. We're not angels. We're human beings, and that's a good thing. Um, becoming angels is just not biblical. Um, what, what the catechism is saying is that we obey perfectly like the angels, not that we are transformed into angels. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, God has been on a mission to restore our full humanity, that we obey Him perfectly, fulfilling our calling as human beings willingly and faithfully to Him. Right? Uh, does anybody know when God first started this mission of restoration? When did God start this mission? Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Yeah, we'll go back to the beginning. It's always safe. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in a sense, God's mission started in eternity past. Right? Whatever that means, because eternity is eternity. I don't know. We don't know what, what it's like not to have... Time, or, or constrained by time, but that's where it started. God's mission be, began outside of time. Does anybody know what reform theologians, uh, refer to when, when they, when they say pactum salutis? Except for Rex, cause Rex knows this one. Does anybody else know what pactum salutis is? Reform theologians say this all the time. That's a different one, but the pactum salutis, does anybody know what that means? 
Yeah, the eternal covenant uh, between the persons of the Trinity, right? Between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, what's that? What's that covenant about? Man, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's good. That's good. Uh, you know, to redeem and restore a chosen people for God, right? That was the intra-Trinitarian pact from all of eternity. So redemption isn't an afterthought in the mind of God. God has always had this in, in his mind. Uh, but in the historical sense, we see this mission start with a promise. Uh, it, in what theologians call the proto-euangelion, or the first gospel Right, It's the first announcement of God's restoration of humans, that they will once again be human enough to do His will. Um, I know you know this like the back of your hand, and, and, and Rex pointed it out earlier, but it's from Genesis 3.15. I will, see that? I will, future action, uh, put enmity between you and the woman, and between you and your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Um, According to this promise, how will God accomplish his mission to restore humanity? What's his plan? The atonement. Yes, the atonement. Elaborate on that? I don't don't hear the, the, the language of atonement here, do you? Okay. Yeah, okay. Good, good. Yeah, God's plan is to defeat the serpent, right, and conquer sin. How? By by the offspring of the woman. The offspring, not offsprings, just just one. Uh, who, as we 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 know, is none other than who? The Lord Jesus Christ, who, who was not only Eve's promised seed, but God's very son. In other words, God himself will come and bring restoration. That's the promise. That's the promise given to us in Genesis 3. Uh, and, and the rest of the Old Testament scriptures bears witness to that reality. That God is going to make, make, uh, make sure on that promise. He's, he's going to accomplish that promise. He's going to continue to bear witness to it. Over and over again, um, we, we encounter God himself intruding into the life of Israel. So, uh, though his coming is a promise, his promised son is, is, is still is a promise, uh, it, has, uh, it also has an already reality for Israel, right? For them, it was now and not yet. Well, let me put it this way. This might be a little confusing. Were the Israelites, not all Israelites, but those who believed by faith, redeemed or saved in the Old Testament? Yes, yes, no question. They, yeah, they were, they were saved. Uh, but how were they saved if Jesus Christ wasn't yet incarnate, crucified, resurrected, and ascended? Yeah, the reason they could receive the reality of the promise is because God is not limited by time like we are, Right? I know this is getting a little complex, but but hang on, because this is important. 
God can apply the work of Jesus to Israel as they look forward in faith. Right? And so in that way, they experienced the promise already. They already had a reality. But even though in the historical sense, Jesus has, has not yet come. Right? Uh, at least not become incarnate and, and crucified and resurrected and so forth. Um, uh, but it is in Jesus Christ alone do we find God's mission of restoration fulfilled, right? Um, we, we look back to that restoration and they looked forward to that restoration. So in, in a way, it's, this time is constraining both of us, right? Because we weren't there at the exact same time, but yet they looked forward, we look back, we still have the same salvation. Um, Jesus is the Father's faithful Son and King. Uh, Jesus came to do the will of God. That's what we hear from Jesus himself in the Gospel of John. I came not to do my will, but the Father who sent me. Um, And I want you to remember that Jesus came to be enthroned as King. He is truly the divine King uh, who came to usher in the kingdom of God. The king in the flesh who does the will of God. Now turn with me to John 6. John 6, uh, 37 through 40. This is after the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. The next day, Jesus goes on to rebuke people for following him for the wrong reason. Uh, why, were, why, were, why were they rebuked? What was the reason they were following Jesus? Yeah, they wanted their bellies, you know, to be full. And they weren't following Jesus for who he truly was. Uh, that he was the God of Israel in the flesh. That he was one with the God who fed their fathers in the wilderness. That's not why they were coming um, they didn't acknowledge him as the true bread from heaven who, who comes down to bring eternal life. Uh, listen to what he, what he says beginning in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Where I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Uh, notice first that Jesus came to do his Father's will, not, not his own, right? This is what Jesus is asking us to pray. Thy will be done. And so he, we, we encounter him doing that. He's demonstrating for us what it looks like uh, to, as the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, renounce our own will and without gainsaying obey uh, His will. But what is His Father's will according to Jesus here in John 6? It's His Father's will. To, to, yeah, to... To, to save a people, right? To lose none, to lose none. yeah. Um, Jesus came 
for this rescue mission, for his father's rescue mission, that he would not lose any that the father gives him, that, and, and that he would raise them up at the end of the age, and that everyone who looks to him and believes should have eternal life. Uh, what is Jesus alluding to here? That everyone who looks to him should have eternal life. Okay. The serpent Moses? Oh, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's in Numbers 21. And, and I'll mention this in the sermon later. Uh, but Numbers 21 is where God sends fiery serpents to bite Israel. Why? Because they were grumbling and talking down to God and Moses, God's prophet. Uh, it says that many people died because they got bitten by these serpents. Uh, as, a, as a side note, have you ever seen a fiery serpent? Yeah, unless it's being cooked, right? Right? Like, what, what is that? Fiery serpents. That's weird, right? Um, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it, but uh, the, the word serpent, fiery serpent, comes from the word seraphim, right? So I don't, I don't know what exactly these creatures were like, but somehow they were devastating enough to kill um, the Israelites. Um, uh, but but at the at the at the least we can say that these were supernatural creatures, right? Because what, what what what's happening? Like they're just not natural. Like snakes aren't naturally on fire. I, that's that's just not a not, not a thing um, normally. It could. Yeah, it could. It, that could, that could be a good explanation. Again, I'm I'm, I'm like, what's fiery serpents, right? Um, but I think it's not an accident that this sounds like seraphim, right? Uh, the seraphims themselves were were snakes with with wings, you know, snake-like creatures with wings. But anyways, God sent them to bite people, um, but out of His pity, God's pity uh, for His people, He He makes a way to heal them. He, he had Moses make a fiery serpent that, that looked like these things um, from bronze, from metal. And he puts it on a pole, and everyone who got, who, who got bit and, 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 and looked to this pole, right, it was, they were healed. They were, they were saved. They lived, right? I mean, this is precisely Jesus' mission, isn't it? As the king... He came to rescue, uh, secure our, our place in, in his father's kingdom by dying for us. He becomes the bronze serpent in the wilderness. Everyone who looks to him will live. Uh, I mean, wh- where is Jesus lifted up? Where do we look to him to be saved? On the cross, right? This is clearly that correspondence between these two texts is that Jesus is claiming to be the saving bronze serpent that's lifted up. And in this case, he's lifted up on a cross. In that sense, Jesus doesn't lose any that the Father has given him. He will raise them up 
to life at the end uh, as he himself is raised on the third day. He was entirely faithful to his father. I like how one writer puts it. He said, By God's will, Jesus Christ rescues us from the present evil age, reconciling us and the whole alienated cosmos to his world. And so has King Jesus fulfilled the will of the Father? Yeah, he, he has. He has. Anyone who looks to him will be saved. And he, he willingly went to the cross um, I rehearsed Jesus' story because we need to know God's will, um, that His will can't be done here on earth apart from it. Right? If you're not looking to Jesus, you're automatically not doing God's will. We can only do God's will by looking to, the, to this obedient King. He's the one who who was first obedient. He's the one who allows us to be obedient. Uh, It's only in Him we are able to do God's will. We we encounter that language over and over again, right? Especially in Paul. In Him, in Him do we do God's will. Mm Mm-hmm. Good. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, so, by virtue of Christ fulfilling His Father's will, His uh, him, him being faithful, uh, we get to participate in the will and mission of God for the world. As His will becomes our will. His will is to make us more human through Christ, and we get to participate in that. Even as we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying that we ourselves enact God's will. In other words, this isn't a passive prayer. We're participants of God's will on earth. Let me give you an example. Remember remember how we just talked about the Proto-Euangelion earlier, Genesis 3.15? God's will is to restore humanity by defeating the serpent. Uh, He'll send his only son to die on a cross. You know, check, he did that. And everyone who looks to Him will live and be saved. Check. That's all true. But did you know that we get to be a part of defeating Satan? No? Yes? Does that confuse you? Yes? Yeah, no. Amen, right? Uh, Look at what Paul says to the Romans. I want you to turn to the last chapter uh, of Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter 16. Verse 20, we use this pretty often in our bened- for our benediction, but it stuck out to me as I was looking at Genesis 3.15. Uh, Paul says in Romans 16 to t- uh, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, Right? I mean, did you hear that? Who, whose feet is Satan crushed under? Ours. Ours. Uh, we know that Jesus has crushed his head by being bruised for us, but it's also true that Satan will be crushed under the feet of the church, you and me. Right? In other words, God is in, 
is in the here and now using his church to defeat evil in this world. And one day, the ancient serpent will be completely done away with. He'll be pancaked under our feet. Right? Right. So, I, I'm saying we're, we're instruments. Right? We're not, I'm not saying that we do it on our own volition. We do it on our own strength. But that God, God is using that. Using us. Right? Um, uh, this will happen when the church becomes more and more obedient to God's will. Uh, if you go back to Romans 16, you'll notice Paul commending the Romans for what? What, what is Paul praising them for? Look, look back to, um, to Romans 16, verse 19. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. He's commending them for their obedience. They've stayed away from people who were causing divisions among them. But even still, Paul wanted them to be wise that they might know what is good and be innocent in what is evil. I mean, what does that sound like to you? Discern what is good and what is evil. Well, it sounds to me, it sounds like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Uh, they were supposed to discern good and evil, not, not on their own, but by God's Word. God already told them what is good. God told them what His will is. Don't eat from that tree. Right? Because God is the one that tells us what is good and what is evil. Uh, but in the end, they decided for themselves instead of submitting um, to God's will. You know, to be honest, the Bible can be incredibly complex. Uh, we saw that when uh, Mr. Gary was teaching for us on Scripture, right? It's, but the Bible can be really hard to understand sometimes. There are fiery snakes, brutal wars, talking donkeys, rape, incest, murder, and all kinds of other difficult things to know about the Bible. It's hard to tell sometimes what God's will is for us when we read uh, our Bibles, but if we want to see what God's will is for us at the deepest level, then we have to look at God's greatest commands that He makes upon us. Right? In other words, we need to ask, what are God's greatest commandments? Does that, does that question sound familiar to you? Yeah. If we start there, then we have a foundation. I mean, good thing someone posed this question to Jesus already. A lawyer of all people, a lawyer, someone who is constantly trying to justify himself and other people, um, uh, questions Jesus, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great, great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You see, for Jesus, loving God with all that you have and loving, loving your neighbor as yourself are the fundamental will of God for us. Those are the core values of what it means to belong in the kingdom. Right? If you, if you read your Bible and you're kind of like, what's going on here? Keep these in mind. What does God want from me? 
love. If, if your interpretation is contrary to love, then guess what? You have a bad interpretation, right? Um, because these are the fundamental uh, things that God wants from us, that He wants us to do. He says, all of these two things depend all the law and the prophets. Uh, God's will is that we become His new humanity, citizens of His kingdom, obedient children who love Him and our neighbor as ourselves. And so the question is, what does that look like when we do it? The yeah, keep going. Denying yourself. Denying yourself. Yeah, the answer is simple, right? It's when we become more and more like Jesus Christ. Jesus came to bring God's will down to earth that we might become more human. The more we become like Jesus, the more we become like God. And the more we become like God, the more we become like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more human we become. Did I confuse you? See, Jesus is the one that, that mediates for us true humanity. The more we look to Him, the more we look like God, and the more, God, the more we look like God, the more we look like Jesus, who is the true human. That's good news. That's God's restoring mission, that we, we look more and more like Jesus. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I mean, like, behold. Behold Him. I mean, sometimes we, we you know, we, we like discipline and, and patterns and such and such, but we can't lose sight. We can't lose sight of Jesus. Um, and yeah, so we get to be a part of this. We get to be a part of God's restoring humanity to Himself. Um, we... We're, we ourselves are on a mission to re- rehearse and embody the story of King Jesus. Uh, I, I like what Tim Keller calls it. He calls it gospel reenactment. Not that we are able to do everything Jesus did, but we, we get to reenact the pattern of his story. Right? A pattern of self-denial and sacrifice. It's what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 16. If, if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And this is exactly what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. I mean, this is a bit lengthy, but I want, to, I want you to listen to it. Because if we're going to do God's will, if we're going to love God and our neighbor, if we're going to be fully human uh, once again, then it's imperative we know what that looks like. And it looks like Jesus. Uh, Paul, in Ephesians 2, it says... Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you uh, not only to, uh, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to, to do God's will, is to, is to follow the pattern of Jesus' life, to humble our, ourselves like him, that we might be exalted like him. I mean, if I could boil this down to one word, it's love. God's will for us is to love as Jesus loved, by treating one another more significant than ourselves, denying ourselves for the sake of other people. Uh, but here's the thing. We, we, we can't simply read Philippians 2 with individualistic eyes. I know we like to do that, and, and there's a place for that. There's a place for our, our own individual walk with the Lord. Um, but this, this, this is written to a whole church, the corporate body of the Lord. We are to demonstrate and embody Jesus' story together, to each other, for each other. And for the world. This is our mission to the world. This is wrapped up in the Great Commission, isn't it? Because um, as Jesus was being taken up, or before he was taken up, uh, to his Father's right hand, kingdom, right, king, um, what did Jesus tell his disciples? Great Commission. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Make disciples, right? Make disciples, uh, people who will t- uh, think and act like Jesus, like their master, Jesus, their teacher, Jesus. What else? Make disciples. Baptize them. You know, signal to the world that they belong to a different king and kingdom. We saw that in Jesus' own baptism. They signal to the world who he is. He's a king. And when we are baptized, we are signaling to the world that we belong to that king and his kingdom. And not to this world. And then, what was the last one? Yeah. Teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. Teach them to do God's will. Isn't that what, what Jesus commanded us? To do God's will. Teach them to love God and neighbor like Him. That's the mission of the church. May we never forget it. Uh, let, let me end with this since we're, we're getting there. Uh, God is calling us to be counter-cultural, or should I say counter-kingdom. In a culture full of hatred and bigotry, God's mission is for us to bear witness of His kingdom by becoming fully human, by the way we love each other, the way we love God and each other. That's how we bear witness to this world, right? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, It doesn't say, by this, people will know, uh, or if, if, you, if you memorize all of your catechisms and you're flawless with, the, with them, then people will know that you're my disciples. Those are good, but those aren't, aren't the primary things. Those are good things, but they should lead us to love one another, right? Our knowledge, our knowledge of our God should lead us to love one another. 
Why does Jesus say, if you have love for one another? He doesn't say, if you love God. Yeah, because you can't see God, right? You know that somebody loves God when they love their brother. That's what John says. It's God's will for us. And, and I hope, as a church, we, we embody Jesus' story of, of, of lowering ourselves that we, and, and denying ourselves and loving each other. Uh, remember next week, our deacon, Steve Etheridge, will be teaching for us. So you don't want to miss that. I'm looking forward to it. I, I think I'll, I, I'm, we're going to try to join on Zoom, but it should be really fun. With that, let's close in prayer. Actually, let's, let's, let's recite the Lord's Prayer. How about that? Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Fifteen minutes till worship.